0: we continue our series fired up and we are going through acts and the early church and think about rekindling the spirit in our own lives as we indeed are fired up this morning we're doing the true wisdom of god and we are in corinth in acts chapter 18 and i invite you to follow along with 18:1 through 17 After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus, Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader and his entire household, believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one who is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While well, Gallio was proconsul in Archaea, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. and Gallio showed no concern whatever. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts and minds today. Well, as I said, we continue this series, Fired Up, The True Wisdom of God, as we are in Corinth this Sunday. Well, I just returned from two weeks overseas, and uh, it was a, f- a fabulous, fabulous tour, really a study tour of so many different places, and uh, just enriching, and I hope to share a lot with you, and I hope you will be blessed by that, too, even as many you were from the pictures I shared online. But the one, the one downside of all that journey was the trip back. <laughs> I'm still still recovering from that and uh, we visited four continents as it turns out including North America and the trip back was over 24 hours between the flights and lines and security and and I don't know about you but I always try to brush up on this security procedure and they have all the signs right but you do this odd sort of dance I don't know not a line dance or anything but but you only given a certain amount of time to get your trays out right and then you have to take everything out of your your Pockets and you have belt off, shoes off, and uh, you're you're doing it while you're walking because there's people pushing from behind and people sort of nudge you from ahead, and uh, and and you want to not upset the security people at all, right? So. Uh, we're, we're doing this sort of thing and it, it always is a bit of the luck of the draw which line you get into, are you with me? And so we spent hours, I mean we spent almost as much time in security lines as we did on flights and in one particular security line from Cairo to London, turns out that you know we went through heavy security in Cairo. But then we're in London, and apparently they take everything seriously there too. And and so we're in line, and we, the rest of us, get in one kind of line, and by the luck of the draw, Lloyd Wells gets in the other line. Now, one of the signs they have along the way is, and you've probably seen this, that you're allowed one bag, by a bag they mean a small plastic baggie, this big, right, of two to three ounce liquid kinds of things. So, you know, you're talking shaving cream, mini little mouthwash things, and and this sign appears numerous times along the way in different languages, right? So, and then you go through, they check everything, and then they get, you know, you get the line that goes, kicks your baggage out, and you go to to the personal security treatment, right? So Lloyd is in this line, the rest of us go through, and turns out the lady in front of him has two suitcases full of little jars of oils and cosmetics. Two, I'm talking big suitcases and apparently, I mean, she doesn't read or she thinks she's special, but the security guards did not find it funny. So they checked every single vial, meanwhile, the plane is boarding so we're there for over 45 minutes before they finally get someone else to check Lloyd Who got bumped out because he had stuff in it not anything bad, but uh, so uh, people are kind of boiling over this woman who is like You know so they're checking one suitcase and they open the other suitcase and it's full and you can just hear the crowd in back go like oh. Yeah, well, there's some other words involved, but uh, she was not the passenger of the day so anyway Traveling is interesting, and one of the things I guess that, um, as I was thinking about, it, is being in all these different places. So in Israel, all the all the sacred spots, and in Egypt, sacred things as well, was um, it's amazing to just see that people are coming from all over the world to these sacred spots, and you're there, and you always hear about when there's turbulence in the area, fights going on, what have you. But you know, by and large, people were getting along well there. And it was different nationalities not just jewish palestinian and egyptian other folks but different faiths. And we're talking about jewish and we're talking about muslim we're talking about christian of course um different flavors of christian and then even the egyptian faith you know we're talking about five six thousand years ago and it's interesting as you look at this that in all these faiths, in all these symbols, we're talking about a living tradition, not just ancient history, passed on from generation to generation. There is this pool in people towards the Most High. There's this pool in people towards the Eternal, that God is there and that we are seeking God and trying to find our way. And it was just amazing. And I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as sort of a backdrop as we look at this in Paul in Corinth this morning and we've been on this trip as i said in acts and i hope it's been an adventure for you maybe not quite as much as my holy land trip but i hope to share some of that with you but it is an adventure to see what God was doing in the early church, that the Spirit was alive. And I've challenged us all to be fired up uh, by the Holy Spirit, even as the early church was, as they opened the windows of their faith and of their lives, and God breathed the Holy Spirit in. I was uh, so blessed to be able to uh, be in the spot where they believed the upper room was, even though it's been rebuilt over, and to just be blessed in different phases and, and minutes. and uh, it was just everything was transformed in some ways. Paul on his second missionary journey we've been on the second missionary journey and we went to Thessalonica and then uh, three weeks ago when I was here before I went on the trip we were in Athens and Paul uh, shares to the Athens and in Thessalonica there's a there's a term that Paul is accused of that I want you to keep in the back of your mind or the front of your mind if you will which is that Paul is accused of turning the world upside down and what that we were accused more of turning the world upside down right and Turning the world upside down by sharing with such passion and enthusiasm, what God is doing in their lives. Remember that we have been looking at three questions. What is our level of passion? What are the gifts that you have to share? And what is your level of resilience if we face challenge and adversity? And so they had incredible, incredible passion. Paul's turning the world upside down, upside down in terms of the value, upside down in terms of opposition to the culture, and upside down in just uh, doing everything possible to do what God is doing in the moment. And then in Athens, we looked at In the previous week, we looked at how Paul challenged people in the marketplace of ideas, which is the Areopagus. And it was very different than in Thessalonica, where he shared from Hebrew scriptures. And so Paul is is sort of talking with the Athenes and the Socratic people and all different philosophies of the day. And he's able to communicate his faith in a way that doesn't depend on all the sort of church speak, right? the way he did in the synagogue in Thessalonica because he's in a different culture. And I challenge us to be able to share our faith in a way that is relevant to the marketplace of ideas today because we're very much like we're in Athens today. And then this morning we look at Paul in Corinth. And we have so much knowledge of Corinth because we have a couple letters to the Corinthian church that are such a a blessing. So many of us have touched our lives. And so when you think about this, first of all, is that Paul finds himself in Corinth And he happens to be a tent maker, which is his trade. And not just making tents, but he was a leather worker, so he did all kinds of leather kind of working. So I don't know if he did the Harley-Davidson chaps and stuff like that and jackets, but he did leather kinds of uh, working, and he's making tents, and he happens to meet two people by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. Now, they're in Corinth because Claudius, who happens to be the emperor of Rome at that time until eighty. uh, 54 has decreed that all Jews must leave Rome, so they're displaced and they find themselves in Corinth. And they're tent makers, and they meet Paul, the apostle. And Paul begins to teach and share the gospel with them. And they become not only believers, but they become missionaries. They become some of the sort of pastors in the church at Corinth as it grows. And Paul teaches there for a year and a half. And so, one of my first points is that this point about resilience about as we face challenge and adversity in life and how God uses that. First of all, that Paul, of course, is facing challenge and adversity. We see this again in Corinth. He's facing challenge, and, uh, and God intervenes in that moment, and God speaks to him in that moment. But Priscilla and Aquila have been displaced from Rome, and somehow, in all this moment, they come and find Paul as a tent maker, and they not only become believers, but they become teachers become missionaries and pastors. they're really the first record that we have of a sort of husband and wife co-pastors and it's amazing because God is using this moment and sometimes when we face challenge adversity we wonder how can God use this for good right all things work together for the good of them that love God who are called according to his purpose and here's God in this moment working in this incredible way and it's interesting because most of the time in the Bible. And in that culture, we see the men's name first, right? We see Aquila, then Priscilla. But throughout the book of Acts, you'll notice that it's often, more often the case, that Priscilla's name is first. So it's Priscilla and Aquila, which is unusual. But scholars, many scholars believe the reason for that is it turns out that Priscilla was the better teacher, better known. She studied the scripture with the Apostle Paul, and, and that's wonderful. She was a, a, a female leader in the church, and sometimes people say, well, the church wasn't as modern as it is today. Well, it isn't, but it was leading the way in many of these areas, and so Priscilla is known as, as a teacher. I have shared with you before, as we studied the book of Hebrews, that I think that, that Priscilla is probably the best candidate to have written actually the book of Hebrews. And, and why is that? Because it is someone who clearly is very much like the Apostle Paul in terms of all this Hebrew scripture that is saturated in the book of Hebrews, who has an understanding of the priesthood of, of Christ in a very, very special way, who enjoys sports, apparently. But it's not quite the Apostle Paul. And the biggest thing is, what we know about Apostle Paul is if he wrote it, he would have signed it, <laughs> you know, right? He had a bit of an ego, right? He'd, he'd sign it, the Apostle Paul. He had a lot of credibility, so Apostle Paul. The other candidate is uh, Apollos, who was also, by the way, in Corinth. He comes there, who's taught by not only by the Apostle Paul, but by Aquila and Priscilla, right? Or Priscilla and Aquila. And we know that, Apostle, that Apollos had a bit of an ego, too. He was a very, very eloquent speaker. So you can bet that if Apollos wrote the book of Hebrews, he signed it, Apollos. In fact, he's got his name still out there on Corinth. he's the bishop of the area, so he would have signed it. So the only person that really makes sense that wouldn't sign it is a person who would have more credibility if they didn't sign it, which is a woman in that culture of the time. Which I think means Priscilla wrote it, right? So this odd circumstance for a while, while Claudius remains emperor Rome, they're dispersed and they come in contact with the Apostle Paul and Priscilla and Aquila are changed in that moment, in that year and a half of teaching. They become leaders in the church. And I think many scholars believe that Priscilla wrote the book of Hebrews. So we're blessed down through the ages. God works in amazing ways. If you and I, as we face challenge and opposition, are willing to rise to the occasion because the Spirit comes around us and the Spirit helps us and inspires us. And then there's this moment, too, in here where Paul himself is obviously facing difficulties. And God speaks to him personally. And listen to, again, what God speaks and whispers to the Apostle Paul in verse 9 and 10. God says in the vision, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. And it goes on to show how that actually worked out. And so God is whispering to the Apostle Paul, who needed encouragement, in this moment, through the Holy Spirit, that God is with him, that God is working through all these circumstances. and I do want to just push pause for a moment and worship this morning, and I don't know what challenges you're facing in life. All of us are facing some challenges, whether it's illness of a loved one, loss of a loved one, maybe financial adversity or big decisions in life, but know that the Holy Spirit is here with you this morning, that the Spirit is guiding us, and sometimes, if you're like me, you'd like a road map, man, you'd like it, in. Black and white red red outlines and circles but the spirit does guide us the spirit does lead us but sometimes we have to be still sometimes we have to listen to the still small voice of God as God tugs us along the way of life but know this that God does promise to be with us even as God was with the Apostle Paul and Priscilla and Aquila and God is is working and doing amazing things in our life as well and so there's the resilience piece but also there's, there's something else, which is this, there's the resurrection, right? And in this moment in history, as Paul is there in Corinth, and of course Paul had debated the Athenians and, and Athens, there was real resistance to the resurrection, and uh, just in terms of some of the philosophies of the day and the way that Paul presented that. But Paul goes to Corinth and says, I'm going to double down. That this is a this is just something extra to the faith. This is a linchpin to the faith in Jesus Christ and to the hope and promise that we invite people into. And so Paul begins to share, and I just want to read part of what he says that Mary Alice read earlier, which is this. That Paul says this, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words of wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not plausible with the words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the power of the Spirit so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God. And Paul goes on to talk about God's wisdom. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, I know there's a lot of scripture, but it's good for us because we got all this rich book of 1 Corinthians. Paul writes this about the essence of faith that he shared in Corinth. He said, now I remind you, in fifteen one through 21, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, in which you also stand, through which also you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you've come to believe in vain. For I hand it on to you as of first importance what I turn have received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he appeared to Peter and to the twelve, that appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and then also to me, the apostle Paul. Wow. Paul wants us to know that the resurrection is something important. Now, I know, there are people, including myself, that says, you know, if it wasn't for the resurrection, the promised resurrection, I'd still follow Christ. It's teaching of the best throughout history. People will say the Beatitudes are, you know, 2,000 words that have impacted more lives than anything else in all of history. Other faiths as well. But Paul wants us to know the resurrection isn't just some icing on the cake. The resurrection is a, is a linchpin. And some people accuse Christians and say, well, you know, Christians are just opting out. I mean, a few Christians are because they've given up on this life and they believe in some afterlife to sort of code it over. But I like what C.S. Lewis says about this. He said, really, you know, Christians down through the ages have turned the world upside down because of the promise of the resurrection, because they faced death boldly enough to overturn much of Roman society and Roman culture. And through the ages, they have faced death and sword as martyrs of the faith, standing up for what is right and what is just, because they had the promise of eternal life. In fact, C.S. Lewis goes on to say, it's only since they stopped believing in heaven that they become no earthly good. And I think that's great. I'm going to say it again. He said, only since they stop believing in heaven have they become no earthly good. The resurrection is powerful. It's important. It's central to the Christian faith. And I know some people struggle with that. It's not easy, right? Because we live in sort of a science world where it's like you have to see it, right, to believe it. Even though, of course, you use electricity all the time in am no one has ever seen an electron that I know. Not even electron microscope. It uses electrons. You don't see electrons, right? You only see the path of them. So, interestingly enough, though, when you look at the world, and I just, as I came back from this tour, on the tour, man, all these different faiths, right? I mean, the Jewish faith, and, and to see the living tradition, not just sort of this one-off thing, but the people in pride that for generations have looked at these places, and, and the... Christian faith alive and in the Muslims oh, so much of confluence in that area and then to be in Egypt right and uh, five thousand years ago plus five thousand years ago honestly look at the pyramids and you, you may know this but the pyramids uh, trace the path of the Sun precisely exactly north it's so much exact precision in fact the first pyramid the step pyramid has six steps so it's from six by hour up to noon and from noon down to 6 p.m. you can tell what time you can tell what time the photograph i took was if you look at the photo because of that other pyramids do it differently but they trace the path of the sun and the source the sun was believed to be a god but it wasn't just for the daytime the belief was that that pyramid path that was taken by the sun also went underground to the afterlife because they believe so firmly in the afterlife. And that's why that the Pharaohs were embalmed and they had food ready for the afterlife and believed in a bodily resurrection, believe it or not. Peter Berger, a great sociologist who wrote A Rumor of Angels, I highly recommend his readings. He's a sociologist, studied a lot of things, and he said, you know what? Every major sort of desire in the human heart is satisfied somewhere in life, right? So if you're hungry, there's food, right? and to have kids, you have kids. He said, in every culture, in every time in human history, in every major faith in human history, there is a desire and a firm belief in the afterlife. He said, I think that points to what he calls the rumor of angels, that there is eternal life. Not in some dogmatic way, but there's that pull upward all these places from Egypt and on. You could go to South America as well. Some kind of belief in the afterlife. Isn't that amazing? And I know in our science world we think, well, see, I don't know, how can we get a hold of resurrection? But I don't know. Did you see the Nobel Prize last week? Going from Egypt to the Nobel Prize? Who won the Nobel Prize? On the entanglement theory. So what is the entanglement theory? missing my science people this morning, has to do with Bell's theorem. I'll explain. Because if you think science is all hard and fast and not mystical, you don't know about Bell's theorem and the entanglement theory. The entanglement theory is this, that in every place in the universe, there's a twin matching particle and they are related. And so instantaneously, when one is noticed, that the opposite one does something. So, if one is dark, one turns light. One is light, the other turns dark. And so, the physicist who won the Nobel Prize, by the way, on the entanglement theory said, this hypothesis that maybe there's some kind of genetic, pregenetic material in there that predisposes one on the other side of the universe, somewhere, other side of the planet, but it could be other side of the universe, that they're predisposed towards the light versus dark. But what they discovered is not the case. It's not the case. It's just that when one is noticed and one goes light, the other one goes dark. Now, if that isn't mystical, (laughs) then what is? Moreover, when particles come in close proximity to each other for the rest of their sort of lifespan, they still impact each other. Now, if you think science is just hard and fast, then you haven't talked to a quantum physicist lately. And why do I say that? Because the universe is a lot more mystical than what you think. And if you think resurrection is a hard struggle, then you haven't read quantum physics lately because it is amazing what is going on, as well as eternity and time and space. I think all of this just sort of points us in a direction. God, who is eternal, who is the creator of all that is, wanted to come and reveal himself, God's self, to us in Christ in human form that we can understand as best we are able who God is and also most importantly to bridge the gap between love and justice on the cross to offer us forgiveness and grace and then be raised in life that we would have the promise, the firm promise of eternal life and Paul says it's not something extra, it's right at the heart of the Christian faith and I couldn't agree more so today wherever you are Maybe day to day, it's not something, but when you find yourself in a hospital room, when you find yourself grieving the loss of a loved one, know that it's more than just some glimmering hope, that it is a firm promise, and Paul says we can stake our life and our death on it, because God has changed the universe in Christ and offers that hope, that power of the resurrection. In fact, Paul says we grieve, but not like those who have no hope. Where are you today with your faith? Paul, as he's ministering in Corinth, is doing amazing things. And you can see more about it in letters of 1 Corinthians and also 2 Corinthians as well. But Paul, in this moment, even facing challenge and opposition, God is working. God's working through Paul. God is working through Priscilla and Aquila. God is working through Apollos, whom Paul addresses in this letter down the road. And God is still at work in our lives today. Today, wherever you are, know that God is, is tugging on you. And I want to share in closing just a couple things that I think are, are real important, which is that we're in this adventure of wisdom. And I know it's not the wisdom of the ages, but wisdom that maybe is latent there in quantum physics and in Egyptian faith and in the Islamic faith, the Jewish faith, the Christian faith, that God is pulling us forward and upward in amazing kinds of ways. But just a moment about resilience. You know, sometimes as we face things, if we're willing, we can hear the whisper of God. And Paul, in this moment, shares with Luke, who shares with us what God spoke to Paul. Again, in 9 and 10, God said this, Do not be afraid, keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm me, because I have many people in this city. Interestingly enough, Paul would write to the Corinthians some years later, again, in this book of 1 Corinthians, and Paul knows the Corinthians are going through challenges and adversity, and in chapter 16, verse 13 and 14, Paul shares these words, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Where did Paul get that? The same words the Holy Spirit spoke to him in 18 in Acts. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Because, friends, sometimes when God ministers to us in a moment of weakness and challenge and adversity and encourages us, God wants us to remember that moment, and the Holy Spirit will use it through us to minister to someone else. What moment have you gone through where God not only comforted you, but gave you the words of wisdom you need to share to someone else? You don't need to be a pastor or elder or deacon. You just need a person that is willing to listen to the whisper of the Spirit and be willing to share, even as the Apostle Paul did. As we think about fired up, rekindling our faith, I happened on this trip to go to Mount Sinai. And it was amazing, because I didn't know how many people would be there. <laughs> we actually visited the monastery, St. Catherine's Monastery, there at the base. It's at 5,000 feet, which is the base of Mount Sinai, which goes up another 3,000 feet to about 8,200 feet in elevation. And it was amazing to to be there at St. Catherine's Monastery, because there they believe that they have this bush they claim is the burning bush. Not burning, but it, it's really unusual bush. <laughs> uh, and it's right next to the well, they believe, and I think that's pretty solid, that Moses went and uh, saw Zephor. Remember when Moses fled Egypt after he killed the Egyptian? And so God uses that moment of adversity, and Moses travels a long way. Let me tell you, that's a real desert and real mountains, by the way. So, And they have this well, which is pretty rare. And so there's this well, and they call it Zephor's well, where Moses was, refreshed himself, and she blessed Moses by giving him water, and Moses met her dad and and they got married and it's a very sacred place and it's amazing because God used Moses in that moment that appeared to be failure to begin a 40-year journey in the wilderness that would help Moses lead the Israelites to that very same wilderness down the road but as we were there also just outside at the base of Mount Sinai I was amazed that hundreds of people Hundreds of people from all over the world, from from different faiths, were there, and they get up at three o'clock in the morning to climb three thousand feet to see the sunrise on Mount Sinai. People from Africa, Asia, people who are Islamic, Jewish, Christian, no faith, because they want to see the sunrise, because. Something eternal pulled them. And there's so much in our world today. Sure, there's a lot of conflict, but there's so many people, different races, places to face, that are seeking God Most High. The Spirit is pulling them in that eternal quest towards faith and towards God. People would like to hear from us when God whispers to us, We don't have all the answers, but you have a voice, you have a journey, you have something to share too. And there in the upper room, rebuilt over where it was, no doubt, was there to see where God's Spirit touched the disciples and all the 120 that were there, plus, and where God continues to work. God is at work from before time began to today. And God is at work here this morning if we'll open the windows of our lives and allow the Holy Spirit to breathe anew to us. Whatever you're facing, friends, I challenge you again to find the passion that is only through the power of the Holy Spirit and opening our hearts and lives to God's Spirit that's still at work to look at the gifts and talents you have including the experiences that are challenged and adversity, and know that God wants us to share those, and then to look at the challenge and adversity you face and know that God will sustain you through that. But even more, as God encourages you in that moment and whispers to you, you have a word of wisdom. You have a word of encouragement to share with someone else down the road if you're willing to do so. Life is an adventure in the Spirit if we will open our hearts and lies and follow God. We join me in prayer, Lord. We thank you for your Word; it is a light for our path and a lamp to our feet. Lord, as we look at all the adventures of the Apostle Paul and Priscilla and Aquila, Apollos, and so many more in the Book of Acts, we realize that you are at work not just in the early church, but you are inviting us into a journey of faith that is the greatest adventure of a lifetime. Help us, Lord to follow you, to follow your spirit, to be empowered by your Holy Spirit, to have a heart sensitive to what your spirit is doing, to always be full of the love of Christ in all we do, that we may love and serve you and love and serve neighbor. We pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.